I'm Nicole, for those of you who don't know me, and um, I'm so excited to come and talk to you guys today. I'm going to be talking today about how to study the Bible. And so before I kind of jump in, I just want everybody to kind of visualize in your head or just get a picture of a toolbox. Um, so like it's kind of a rusty old metal toolbox that you'd find in your garage, and inside of it there's some like a hammer and a screwdriver that are kind of pretty familiar maybe, and then there's some other tools that maybe you have no idea what they do. I'm going to guess that there's some women in here that kind of like tools, that maybe we like kind of doing household projects or even building things. Like, does anybody here like Shani Dashik? They're awesome. And so there's probably some people in here that if you saw a toolbox, you might get kind of excited. There might be tools you don't know, and the thought of learning them sounds like fun. But then there might be some of us in here that we see a toolbox and just kind of shut our brains off and say, that's not for me. I'm not really into tools. Like, we might even just think, that's kind of for professionals. If I need something done, I'll get a handyman. And I kind of think the way that we are in this room, I just want to acknowledge that the way that we think about studying scripture, there's probably the same variety in here. There's probably some women in here who are really familiar with studying the Bible. You've done it a long time. You've learned lots of tools. And so for me to come up here and give you a whole bunch of tools, that sounds really exciting to you. Maybe some of the tools I mentioned are familiar, but some of them aren't. And so you think that trying these new ones sounds really fun. On the other end of the spectrum, there's probably some women in here that maybe you don't have a lot of experience studying the Bible. Maybe you've never really seen any of these tools before, and it might feel really overwhelming. You might even find yourself kind of shutting off a little bit and thinking, ah, that's kind of more for the pastor to do, or that's kind of more for the professional Christians. And so I just really want to just acknowledge the fact that we come from a variety of places in just our background in studying the Bible, and that's okay. Like, I don't want there to feel any shame in this room if you feel like this all seems new to you. I also don't want there to be any pride if you feel like you're killing it in this area. I just want us to kind of just see this as a box of tools, and even if we can just leave using one of these that we've never used before, I think that's a win. So don't feel like you have to all of a sudden implement everything I'm about to tell you, because again, some of you guys might want to and some of you might not and that's totally fine Um, so let's kind of jump in the reason I really wanted to talk about this is when I've talked to different women throughout the church it seems like one of the things that tends to come up the most sorry I'm gonna be just like Jeremy and mess with my microphone a lot Um, one of the things that comes up the most is how is studying the word it tends to be a challenge for a lot of women Um, there's either a hard time finding the time to do it, or it just seems like it doesn't, it can't make its way into a priority, or there's just too much else going on, um, or when we do do it, it's, it's the matter of what do I do when I do it? Like, how, what are, after I open it and read it, what next? I just don't know the, the how-to. So we kind of have the how-to, what do I do when I do it, and the want-to. Like, we, we might want to on some level, but not enough to actually make it happen. And we kind of send, tend to separate those in our mind and think we have to tackle one problem or the other, But I would kind of even argue that I think that the answer to both can really be the right study habits. Because I think clearly knowing the tools and knowing the study habits is going to help with the how-to. That's just kind of right there as given. But I think when we're using poor study habits, there are, there's a lot of right ways to study the Bible, but there's also a lot of wrong ways. And if we're studying the Bible in the wrong ways, we're going to leave feeling frustrated. It's not really going to be changing us. And there's not going to be a lot about it that's going to make us want to come back for more. So I think that having the right tools in our tool belt is really important. I know that another pushback I tend to hear people say is, you know, like, I don't need to learn all this heady stuff. Like, I just want to love God more. I just want to love him. And, of course, like, I think everybody in here would say that. One of my favorite quotes is from Jen Wilkin. Anybody who knows me, I'm going to quote her a lot, so she's my favorite. But one of her most popular quotes that a lot of you all have probably heard is, the heart cannot love what the mind does not know. 
a lot of times if we're just focusing on just trying to love God more, but you're not learning about who God really is, you might be starting to love a God of your own creation and not the actual God of the Bible. I think that knowledge and affections go hand in hand. Um, A good example of this that I've heard taught about before, like as an example, is wine tasting. Like, I'm not a wine drinker. You could give me a $100 bottle of wine and a $5 bottle of wine. They're both kind of going to not taste good to me. Like, I wish I liked wine. I've just never developed a taste for it. But if somebody really um, becomes kind of a wine connoisseur and they're learning about wine and they start to learn about the different regions that the grapes are grown in and the notes and the undertones, and I don't even know all the words because I'm not a wine person, but the more knowledge that they gain about wine, the more that the experience of drinking wine is going to be pleasurable, they're going to get more out of it, it's going to just be a more impactful experience because their knowledge about wine has impacted their experience of wine. And I think the same is true of God. The more that we apply our minds to knowing about God and learning the truth of who he is and how he has revealed himself to us in the scripture, the more our hearts are going to be stirred up and our love for him is going to grow. And we're going to know and be assured that we're loving the God of the Bible and not a God of our own creation. So, Real quick, I just want to touch on a few. I kind of mentioned that sometimes maybe having poor steady habits might be contributing to our lack of a want to. I just want to hit on two really quickly of some of the common things that we all tend to do. Like this is not, if you do these, don't feel embarrassed or shamed because I guarantee probably every single woman in here has done them. I have done them. They're very, very common. And I think that they um, do more harm than good. One of those is um, having a habit of always approaching the Bible, um, just kind of skipping around from place to place. Like, I think that it's common for women to say, okay, you know, I've got some time today. I really want to just spend some time in the Word. Um, where should I read? Okay, oh, you know what? Today I'm going to read a psalm. So we read some, some of a psalm, and we pray about, like, Lord, let this change me. And then we feel good about it, and we go on. And then the next day or the next week or whenever we have our next time in the Word, we say, okay, I re- that was really good. I want to have some more time in the Word. Where should I read today? I think I'm going to read, um, I'm going to read one of the Gospels, and I'm, and I'm going to pick a random, you know, time that Jesus was t- teaching or something. And so we kind of just skip around from place to place. But think about what if we were to approach any other topic that way? What if I said, you know, I really want to learn how to be really good at math. I'm going to go and buy a math book, and one day, if I feel like it, I'm going to open it to any random page, and I'm going to read half of that page. And then I'm going to just do what I can to make sure that sticks. And then a week later, I'm going to say, okay, I want to learn more math today. I'm going to open to any other random page and just see what sticks. That would be a terrible way to learn math. Like, do you think, like, how many of you feel like at the end of a year of doing that, that you would love math? Like, how many of you even feel like you would even still be doing it after a year? Or would you have given up because it didn't really produce anything in your life? I think that we treat, we have this kind of mindset that we want to treat um, any other topic, history, math, or whatever, in, with more respect than kind of what we treat with our Bible. Like the thing is with math and with history and everything else, there's ideas that build upon each other. Um, and the same is true of the Bible. There's a lot in the Bible, especially when you start in the Old Testament, of things that build upon each other. And when we kind of start taking the time to study maybe some of the books as a whole, and we kind of get these entire concepts and then start to see how they build, and there's this whole progression from Genesis to Revelation of God is just creating anticipation for Christ and the need for Christ, and we miss that when we're always jumping around. Now, that's not to say that there is no value in 
reading isolated verses. There is, but that should not be the entirety of our scriptural diet. Like, we need to make the habit of studying in a way that's going to help us build upon our knowledge so that we can then start to have a grasp on all of scripture as a whole, and it'll then start to shape our hearts in a deeper way and in a more meaningful way. Another thing I think that we tend to do um, that's not always helpful is that we tend to rely an awful lot on devotionals and books. Now, devotionals and books are great. Like, there's nothing wrong with them. I think that they're really, really helpful in seasons or for different reasons. But I think that we become, um, it starts to get dangerous if we are only ever reading a devotional that somebody else has written. Um, the kind of the best analogy I can think of is kind of a gross one, so stick with me. But think about how baby birds eat. So a baby bird isn't quite ready to chew up their own food. So their mama comes, gets a worm, chews it up, and spits it in their mouth. Super gross. And then I was thinking one day, like, what if people, like, were kind of like baby birds? Like, what if anytime I wanted to eat something, I had to go, like, say I had, like, a plate of enchiladas or a steak or whatever. I had to stick it in a blender and mash it all up so that I could then swallow it without having to chew too hard. Like, we would still get nutrients. We would still get beneficial things for our bodies, but we would probably never really develop a love for food the same way that you do when you, like, eat, a, like, a piece of cake or eat any of this delicious food that our um, events team has prepared. I think that the same is true of the Bible. I think that when we're only filling our minds with scripture that has already been digested by somebody else, and we're only getting kind of the secondhand knowledge of somebody else saying, I've really studied this. I've really chewed it up. This is what I think you should think about it. We're going to get a lot of great insights and knowledge, but we might not ever develop that love for the word of God that comes when you dig in yourself and you let God's spirit meet you there and move in your heart and stir things up. I know for me that any time that I'm doing something where I experience God's Holy Spirit, I want more of that. Like when I'm, if I'm having this conversation and I'm getting to share something that God has done in my life and I can just feel his spirit working through it or I get to be a part of leading somebody to Jesus or I'm, you know, spending time in the word and God just opens my eyes to something, that's addicting. That's what draws me back for more. It's encountering God's spirit. Like I think that the spirit and the word, like something spe- like special happens when we go directly to the scriptures and press into it and let it, it transform us directly. Now, there are times in a person's life when we do need easily digestible food. We, like when you're a baby, you do need to eat baby food. Like if you're sick, you might need applesauce or whatever. Like there's seasons when you're going to rely more heavily on devotionals and books. Like I know, you know, new moms like who have no sleep and things like that. That might be a season when you're not going to have as much time to go straight to the scriptures all the time. And so I don't, I'm not saying in any way that you should never do devotionals or never read books. I'm not at all saying that. I'm just saying that if you look at the course of your life, that you need to see stretches and seasons maybe where you are really devoting yourself to, I'm going to go straight to the Bible and let it transform me and not always rely on secondhand knowledge or somebody else. So those are just a couple of really common ones. Um, I don't want to spend too much time there because I really want to make sure we have a lot of time for the good things that we should be doing and giving you a lot of really practical tools Um, So let's see here. There's three basic principles that I'm going to share with you today. 
The third one is when we're going to get really practical, a lot of really, um, like, you know, this is what you do kind of tools. So if you really like the tangibles, like, just give me some, th- some action steps. Like, it's coming, don't worry. But I just want to make sure that we focus on the posture that we need to come to Scripture in. And so the first one that we're going to talk about, the first basic principle, is that we need to remember that the Bible is a book that is primarily about God first and not man. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is primarily about God first and not man. Um, I think most of us would know that intellectually, but how many of us have ever sat down to have a quiet time or a devotional or just some time in the Word and prayed, Lord, show me what you have for me today. God, what is this scripture saying to me? Like, Lord, I'm having this issue in my life and I just need guidance on this situation. Will you just like point me to something in your scriptures that's going to tell me what to do? Like, Obviously, God does have words for us. He does have guidance for us. He wants to lead us to different decisions um, through lots of different ways. But what if instead we had the posture when we went to the scriptures of saying, God, reveal something about yourself to me today. God, show me your character more as I read your word today. Um, We know that the only thing that can truly satisfy our hearts is God. And so when we come to the scriptures, really wanting primarily advice about ourselves or to learn more about ourselves, we're trying to pull something from the scriptures that's not ultimately going to satisfy us the same way that God is going to satisfy us. And so we need to learn how to approach it with the heart attitude of, I want to learn about God, not necessarily, I want more information about myself and my own circumstances. One um, uh, example is I was at a conference recently, and my, my girl Jen, she was giving this example about she had been to a conference and there was four speakers and and she was the fourth one and the first three all spoke and taught on Psalm 139. And they didn't plan this ahead of time, but it just tends to be a passage that women love and we just feel drawn to. Like we just need this for some reason. And so it just really got her to think a lot about this. And she did this thing where she read it two different times in two different ways. And so I'm gonna just basically copy exactly what she did because it was really impactful for me. So the first time she read it the way that we as women tend to like to read this verse, this passage. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit up and when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Do you see how my attitude and my posture toward that scripture was all about myself and what, what is said about me? Now listen to the difference. O oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before, and laid thy hand upon me. Do you see the difference? I get goosebumps the second time I read it, because I am focusing on the only one who can satisfy me, and how, like, I'm basically giving him my worship when I read it that way. 
And so that's just a general posture that we need to learn how to have when we come to Scripture. I think we do this all the time, and we jump straight to, what does this mean for me? What is this, what is this saying to me? And instead we need to ask, what is this saying about God? And then let the what does it say for me come later. That still is going to come. We are still going to get application. We're going to learn about ourselves. But we need to learn about ourselves after learning about God first and letting that shape the way that we see ourselves. Does that make sense? Is everybody tracking with me? Okay. All right. So now, first basic principle, the Bible is a book about God first, not man first. Second basic principle, we need to understand that while the Bible is several books, there's lots of different books within the Bible, they're all part of one story. And we need to have a basic understanding of what that story is. Um, There's a lot of ways to talk about this. I'm just going to kind of touch on two different approaches. One of them is just knowing the greater gospel narrative. This is a really easy thing to remember. There's four different parts of it. The greater gospel narrative is creation is the first word. Fall is the second word, redemption is the third, and restoration is the fourth. If you can remember those four words, then you will always be able to look at scripture and know that what you're reading falls somewhere in that greater gospel narrative. Um, in the beginning, it's really easy to see when God is creating the heavens and the earth and he creates man, you're, you're in the creation part of the gospel narrative. Um, then we have Adam and Eve and they come and they rebel against God and they sin. And then from then on, we're in the fall of the greater gospel narrative. But all throughout the fall of part of, of scripture, when we're seeing the effects of the fall, we're also seeing a lot of foreshadowing. We're seeing a lot of stories that point to the future redemption to come in Jesus. A lot of the things that we read in the Old Testament are little pictures of what Christ is going to do, and so they're pointing to redemption. Um, When Christ does come and he's healing people, he is giving us pictures of his future, of the future restoration of God making all things new someday. And so when you have this idea of, okay, everything is going to fit into this greater gospel narrative, learning the habit of grounding yourself when you're reading a portion of scripture into what part of the narrative am I in is super helpful. I got some examples. I know that there's been times when I've been studying and there's a verse that maybe came out of play, like it jumped out as feeling, oh man, that feels kind of, that feels kind of oppressive to women and I don't understand. This just seems really negative. So then I asked myself, what part of the greater gospel narrative does this fit into? Sometimes it's clearly fitting into the fall, and that portion of scripture is not describing the way that God intends things to be, but it's describing an effect of the fall. Sometimes I can see, well, this is something that Paul is doing to help churches to, you know, be better and to grow more into Christ-likeness. He is trying to bring people into restoration. He's trying to bring, like, things to more how they should be. There's probably something contextual that I am missing here that's making me read this. There's probably, um, I'm not understanding it fully if I'm assuming that it is not for our betterment. So I think that having that grounding of where in the greater gospel narrative in this is this is going to help us as we approach text kind of to disarm some of these questions. Um, The other way that we can kind of remember it's part of one story is just kind of having a basic understanding of the, the chronology of the Bible, just the timeline. So all the different books in the Bible aren't necessarily in order as far as like what happened first and what happened next. And so it can be really confusing. In your handouts, we don't have time to like 
you know, learn the whole timeline today because it's pretty in-depth. But I did give you a very basic one in there just for your reference. And when you get online, you can just Google, like, chronology of the Bible or Bible timeline, and you'll find way more detailed ones than this. But this one's very basic, um, and it can just start to give you an idea. Because the thing is, as you study a book, like, say, like, right now I'm in 1 Samuel— It's really helpful to know what came before this, like generally, if I could just say in two sentences, what came before this, and then what's going to come after, like what is this lumped together with? And it's going to just kind of ground you and give you some context um, just to kind of know. So um, a lot of times we kind of think, oh, you know, I can still get a lot, like I can still get so much out of this, uh, you know, this passage that I'm reading. I don't really need to know the context. I don't really need to know where it's fitting in. But context really does matter. Um, this, this conference that I was at a while ago, I was at a breakout, and the teacher in there, she was telling a story about her friend, and her friend was just having a really bad week. And she, um, you know, was just, I think she had just had a, she said that she had just had a miscarriage, and she was just feeling really down, and things just were not going well, just in general. And she gets this text on her phone, and it just said, hey, I'm here for you. And she's like, oh, man. Like, I really needed to see this. Like, I needed to hear this. This is so sweet. I don't know who this person is. I don't have them in my phone. So she kind of replies back, and she's like, thank you so much. It's been a really hard week. My soul really needed this. Like, I'm so sorry, but I don't, I don't actually have your name in my phone. Can you tell me who this is? And she gets a reply back, this is your Uber driver. I'm here for you. And so, like, the context really matters. And it's funny. I actually saw a commercial that kind of used that same scenario, like, a couple weeks later. And I was like, huh, maybe this happens a lot. But... Um, So yeah, so just this idea that when we read a text without having any idea where it came from, who wrote it, who it was written to, we can easily misapply it. The context really does matter. So having that basic understanding of the general timeline of the Bible and knowing the greater gospel narrative is going to give you a framework to, to, it'll be a safeguard for you to stop misapplying scriptures if that's something that's happening for you. I mean, it happens for all of us, so... Okay, so that's the second one, knowing the basic storyline of the Bible. The third thing, and this is where we're going to spend a lot of time and get really nitty-gritty and have some practice and stuff, and this um, this is the hardest one for us. We need to remember that application comes last. Our tendency is to open up the Bible and to say, how does this apply to my life? And we do want to ask that question eventually, but not until we have spent the time making sure that we first know what it says, comprehension, then know what it means, interpretation, and then application. I've had this taught to me at a couple of different workshops and stuff. It's kind of a popular method. They kind of dubbed it the CIA method, kind of detective or whatever, so um, just easy to remember. So we're going to kind of just um, walk through those steps here in just a minute, but first just to set it up, um, some of the things that I really recommend is starting to like, if you've never done this before, get in the habit of picking a whole book of the Bible and say, I'm going to spend some time, a couple of months, however long it takes to study this whole book of the Bible. Um, I think that that's really important because it's going to help you to start kind of building more of a map in your mind of how all scripture fits together and points to each other because you're going to just get a lot more of that context. Um, You're going to just be building like a bigger, a bigger map in your head. I think when you bounce around from topic to topic. Um, that just doesn't happen quite as, as effectively. I've heard, again, Jen Wilkins talks about the difference between a savings account and a debit account. And when we go to the scriptures and with a kind of like the posture of, Lord, I just need, I just need something to get me through the day. Lord, give me something to get me through the day. Like it's, you know, 
that's, that's, she kind of compares that to a debit account. Like we're drawing what we need from the scriptures for that day. Now a debit account's not bad. Like we all function with debit accounts and savings accounts. So I'm not saying that you should never do that. Like we should, that's important. But I think that most of us would agree that a, like a healthy adult also has a savings account. And so what a savings account is, is spending time in scripture in a way that's gonna start to build a wealth of knowledge in your mind that you can draw from. That's not gonna go, in to help you through one day and then you don't remember it the next. But when you study books of the Bible as a whole, you start to kind of build that, that savings account to where you can then, when you read another book, you start to see, oh, that's, that's what this was talking about. It was what this was pointing here and this is building on this. And, you know, these ideas are all connected throughout. This happens like four times in a row in the Old Testament, whereas we would have missed all that had we not been building our savings account. For me, um, we went through, you know, 10 years of like infertility and adoptions that didn't work out and everything when we got married. So I had a period of time when I just had more time than most women my age because I didn't have kids. And that was, you know, not by choice, but like I just happened to have more time. So I was able to spend, you know, more often kind of these extended times in the Word, studying a whole book of the Bible at a time. Um, and then now having Jacks, like that doesn't happen as often. It's, just a, it's a different season of life, but I'm still... God is still allowing me to benefit from the savings account that was pulled up earlier that even if there's a week that I don't even get to like open my Bible, there's still this, this like savings account in there that like as I go throughout my day, like the Holy Spirit is drawing from and, you know, moving in my heart in different ways. And so we benefit greatly when we build a savings account for ourselves of knowledge um, that's going to serve us for our lifetime. So um, the first thing that we want to do before we go to the CIA method is there's kind of like a step one. Um, This was something that I got from a teacher named Colleen Searcy. She's really smart. And she talks about the idea of reading the envelope. When you get a letter in the mail, what's the first thing you do? Look at the envelope because that tells you a lot of information about that letter. It tells you who it's to. It makes sure that you're not like, you know, reading something and thinking it's for you and it's really for somebody else. It tells you who it's from, like who wrote this. It tells you what kind of a letter it is. Like, is this junk mail? Is this a personal letter? Um, It tells you when it was written. There's like a post stamp. And so the same way, when we are going to read a book of the Bible, it helps to kind of like prepare ourselves and ground ourselves by reading the envelope a little bit. What that means is just taking like five minutes. This is, it sounds intimidating to some people, but it really with Google, with our phones, like with your study Bibles, most of this can be found in five minutes and we're going to practice it in a little bit. To read the envelope is just basically saying, okay, I'm about to spend a couple weeks or a couple months or a year studying this book. First, before I jump in, I want to know who wrote it. Who did they write it to? What genre is it? This is kind of like the what kind of letter was it? You know, like, have you ever gotten a letter that makes it look on the outside? Like, oh, this is a letter from a friend. And then you open it up and they're trying to sell you something and you're super annoyed. Like, having kind of the right mindset going in, knowing what type of letter it is, affects the way you're going to read it. And the same is true of the Bible. In the Bible, there's different types of books. Like some of them are narrative and history, and they're just telling you things that happened. Some of them, it's wisdom and giving kind of like advice. Some of it's poetry, and it's to soothe your soul. Some of it is letters written from one person to another or a person to a church. So if you know that going into it, if you've taken a moment to say, what genre is this? Is this history? Is this wisdom? Is this a letter from one person to another? It's going to change the way that you read that portion of scripture. And so that's kind of reading the envelope, finding out who wrote this to who, like what kind of literature is this and when was it written. And the when doesn't have to be a date. Like the book of Philippians was written when Paul was in prison. And that's not a date, but that gives you a great insight on how you're going to interpret the book of Philippians because to know he was in prison when he wrote it, 
changes the way you read it. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of reading the envelope. So now that you've kind of prepared yourself, you've taken the time, you've picked a book of the Bible, you've read the envelope, what does it look like to focus on these steps of comprehension, interpretation, and application? So we're going to go through them each one at a time, and then I'm going to give you times to practice in your group. The comprehension step is basically just what does this text say? This is the step we should probably spend the most time on because both of your other steps are going to depend on what you determine in this step. Um, so if you are misunderstanding what it says, you're also going to misinterpret it and you're also going to misapply it. So make sure you give comprehension um, plenty of effort. Also, I do have these like basically laid out in your books just so for reference for you. So if you feel like I'm flying through it and you can't write it all down, I did try to give you some notes just so that you wouldn't be, you know, scrambling to write everything down. So... There's kind of a couple of things that I think are helpful for comprehension. These are, this is not an exhaustive list, and you don't have to do these things, but these are the things that I have found to be helpful to me to make sure that I'm having a good comprehension of the text. The first one is asking questions. And for me, this is what I spend probably 75% of my time in the Word doing. Like, this is the most important. If you only do one of these tools, I recommend this one because I think that it's more effective than all of the rest. So what I do is, say I've decided to read, you know, in the book of, you know, Isaiah or some, whatever. Um, and I, I start at the beginning after I've kind of set myself up. I start at the beginning and I read the first either a paragraph or a section or a chapter, just whatever I feel like I have the time that day to start focusing on or whatever just feels like a natural break. And then I just write down every single question I have about that text. And I've never come across a text, like a section, like, you know, even if it's just like two paragraphs, where I couldn't come up with at least four or five questions. It can be anything. It can be, who is this person? Or what is this, what is this sin that they mentioned? Or this, this seems out of place. Why is that? Or it seems like he's saying this, but that doesn't feel right to me. Is there something that I'm missing? You know, like really anything that you don't understand or feel like you could understand more deeply, just write down that question. And then you can just spend the next, you know, the rest of your time that day, but really it'll probably take longer, like the next several times that you get to sit down to study, just focusing on answering those questions. Um, there's a lot of ways you can find the answers to your questions. The easiest, the good way to start, if you've never really done this before, is um, if you have a study Bible, even just reading the study notes might end up answering some of those questions for you. Um, online, there's lots of commentaries, and what a commentary is, is it's basically like a scholar or a theologian has looked at the text, and they have just written, like, all of their thoughts about it, and so a lot of time, I mean, they've kind of explained the meaning and drawn, you know, different things from it, so a lot of the comprehension can really be enriched if you go to commentaries and kind of hear other people's thoughts about it, and those a lot of times will answer a lot of your questions. If you've been doing this a while and you start to feel more comfortable, I kind of recommend taking it a step further and starting to challenge yourself. I'm going to see if I can answer my questions using just my Bible and not going to other people first because, I mean, that's all that these theologians and scholars had was a Bible. You know, they probably had some other resources too, but... Um, I think just having the habit of saying, okay, I have this question. Um, some of the tools that you can use to answer it with just your Bible are if you get a reference Bible or there's reference, like cross-referencing apps, you can start cross-referencing the verses that you have questions about. 
what cross-referencing is, is in a reference Bible, like in mine up here, you probably can't see it, but in the middle, there's a bunch of verses listed. So like if I'm reading a verse here, it's going to have a little like symbol or a number or a letter. That, and when I can match this over here, it's going to tell me a lot of other verses that are tied to that verse somehow. Maybe it's another verse about the same topic. Maybe it's a verse of a parallel passage that says the same thing or somebody quoted from this other verse. Um, so if you start, like if you get on, online and you start looking up cross-references for the verse you have a question about, it's going to take you all over scripture. And then you can start answering the question, what does the entirety of scripture say about my question? Like, for example, there's a lot of um, times in scripture that, you know, things like clothing are talked about, like, you know, what women should wear. And I know that there's been a time when I've said, gosh, like, this just seems so strange. Like, is it saying that, like, I can't, I can't try to look cute? Like, I don't understand. Like, I'm going to see what the entirety of scripture, and so that was one of my big questions, is like, what is this really saying about women and clothing? I'm going to get a big picture view of what does the entirety of the Bible say about women's clothing. And I was able to do that through cross-referencing, um, looking up all the cross-references. And then also in the back of a lot of your Bibles, there's going to be an index. And I could just look up clothing in my index. And it's going to point me to a whole bunch more verses that are about clothing. And then I can get a picture from beginning to end of verses that reference clothing. I can get a bigger picture view of God's, like, you know, what he seems to be teaching us throughout Scripture and clothing. And then, when and then it's going to help frame me better to answer my questions about that passage and see how this, you know, maybe this passage had some to do with a specific situation in that church or maybe it's getting more to you know a different angle at it and so those are kind of some ways that you can learn how to start answering your questions using just your bible and then i recommend still going to a commentary later to check your answers and see if you're on the right track um, and that can be really really helpful um, so that's the first thing is just asking questions writing down every question you have about a text and then start working on finding the answers Another way you can work on making sure that you're comprehending the text well is to start learning to make good observations of the text. So looking at the text and starting to just notice things, to say, gosh, like, why this, I've, I'm noticing that this verb is, you know, repeated eight times. That must be, that must mean something. It's probably important. Or like, I'm noticing that this is the audience here. I'm noticing that Jesus is talking to these people, not these people. And so it's just making observations about the text. Um, there's a seminary, like, I feel like in all the classes I've been to, this always, this example always gets brought up by everybody, so it must be a pretty famous assignment, but there's a seminary that has an assignment where, um, in one of their classes, they'll give their students, like, a, a paragraph of scripture, and they'll say, I want you to go home, and I want you to make 50 observations, like, not, what does this mean, but, like, what, what do you notice about this, like, what are things that you just observe about this text, and so the students go home and they like struggle with it because 50 is like so many and it's really hard to come up with 50 observations when there's not even 50 words to start with. And so they come back and they're real proud of themselves and stuff and the instructor's like, great, go home and do 50 more. And so kind of the point of that is that like we like to take the first glance of a, of a passage and glean what we notice first. But we need to learn how to start noticing a lot more of the details. There's always going to be more to notice than what jumps out at your first glance. Um, this, is, this is really, really important. Um, let's see. I think I'm going to save that one for... Okay, yeah. So just learning how to just make good observations. Um, what do you notice about that text? And we'll practice that a little bit too. Finally, one final thing to help with comprehension is just um, can, you, can you say it in your own words? Can you paraphrase it? Like, could you write out what did I just learn? Like, if you say you just read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, could I then just say this is what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 was about, or could I tell it to a friend? And if you can't do that, then I would suggest taking more time in the comprehension step because you probably don't
don't really comprehend it if you can't paraphrase it in your own words. So those are just three tools that might help you in the comprehension step of studying the Bible. Let's move on to the next one, which is interpretation. And that is basically just asking the question, what does this mean? And a lot of times, comprehension and interpretation, they kind of blend together. You don't necessarily have to say, I'm going to stop this step and start this step or anything like that. They really do overlap, and you're going to naturally do them um, at the same time. But comprehension is just taking your observations further and just saying, hmm, I noticed that this word was repeated a whole lot. What does that mean? Like, I noticed that um, this is the verb he chose there. What does that mean? Like, I noticed that Jesus chose this as his audience. What does that mean? And, like, starting to, like, think about and dwell on, like, what does it mean? Like, this thing that I noticed, what does that mean? How does that change the meaning of the text for me? In the parable of the prodigal son, most of us in here have probably heard it, but it's just, you know, we tend to think of it as this this feel-good story because it's this father with two sons and his, you know, his older son was kind of a rule follower and his younger son was a rule breaker and the younger son, like, took his inheritance and squandered it and, you know, basically just lived terribly and when he comes back, the father just accepts him with open arms and throws him a party and people are like, man, that is such a feel-good story. That just makes me feel so, like, so secure of the Father's love for me. But when we start practicing our observation skills, and we notice, like, huh, I've noticed in my observations that this was written, the audience that Jesus is talking to is the Pharisees. And I know that the Pharisees would not have identified with the younger son. They would have identified with the older son. Like, that's interesting. What does that mean? And then we start to notice some more, huh, I notice at the end of this story, the older son's not at the party. The older son's not even with the father. He's outside of the, of the party by himself. What does that mean? So then we realize by making good observations and asking, what does that mean? Now we see like, I see this as a feel-good story to encourage me of God's love for me. And yes, that is true about this story. But the original audience, by the original speaker, this is a really strong message of rebuke. He is telling the Pharisees, if you are relying on your own goodness, you are not going to be in the party with the Father at the end. Like, and so kind of asking these observation questions changed the way that we see the text because we see what the original author intended. Does that make sense? So yeah, so that's interpretation is just asking, what does it mean? I noticed these things. What does that mean? And then the last step is application. How should this text change me? And again, you just simply cannot do this and do it well unless you have spent time with the comprehension and interpretation steps first because otherwise you could very easily be misapplying the scriptures to your life. Um, So once you've spent the time making sure that you have a good understanding of the text and a good grasp of it, then you can start asking questions like, how is the Holy Spirit convicting me through this text? What does this text reveal to me about how I am to live? What situation in my life kept coming to mind as I read this text? And what might the Holy Spirit be telling me about this situation? What sin has been revealed that I need to be repenting of? How does the truth revealed in this passage help me to love God more? How does it help me to love others? How can this text change the way that I live my life this week? And who can I share this passage with? Now, do you see all of these questions... They are a lot more of the I, what can I do? How can this, you know, change me? So we do want to get to that step. Like I know I was kind of like, you know, kind of lowering that step earlier on, but really my intention is just to put it in its proper place because we do want to ask the questions of what is the text, how is the text changing me? Like what is this telling me? But not before first seeing what is it saying about God? Am I understanding it correctly? Do I know the truth? Like am I really digging into the meaning? And then we can start asking the how should it change me questions. Does that make sense? So I know this is a lot of information. 
Think back to that toolbox. Some of you guys maybe checked out a long time ago and are like, whatever, I'm going to let other people do this. Um, But I just really want to encourage you guys, like, pick up a hammer. Like, just the most basic thing out of everything that I said, if there was one tool that, like, was like, well, I could probably bring myself to do that. Like, just don't think that it's an all or nothing. Don't think you have to take this whole toolbox and suddenly build a house, you know? Like, just try to use a hammer and learn how to hammer a nail. Like, you just take the simplest thing, whatever whatever feels like it's going to take you to the next level, use that tool and start putting it into practice. And then as you become really good at one, one tool, you'll be able to start maybe picking up another couple. Another thing just is that this is a really good thing to continue working out, like, within your fight clubs and in your MC and just as you're discussing with the people that you're naturally around during the week, um, be talking to people about how their time in the word is and like be challenging each other on like actually going through the process of, of making sure that we're building our savings accounts and not, not operating with only a debit account, but having a debit and a savings account. So what I'm going to do now is we're going to practice in your handouts. You've got two pages. It's the first um, part of the first chapter of 1 Samuel. And I purposely picked something that wasn't like going to be as familiar as a lot of the more popular you know, passages because I want us to come at it without like preconceived ideas of, of anything. Like I just want it to be kind of a fresh slate. I mean, it's still like it's not a completely obscure passage. But um, what I want you to do first is at your tables, I'm going to give you guys five minutes And I want you to practice reading the envelope, okay? So, like, you've got, you know, usually about, like, six of you, I think, seven of you at each table. So you should be able to find within five minutes. You can use your phones. You can use your study Bibles if you have one. And I want you as a table to figure out who wrote this book of the Bible, what, like, who was the intended audience? Like, what, what genre is this? Like, what was this book written for? Like, is it, you know, what kind of literature is it? Um, and then when was it written? And then I'll call, I'll call us back in about five minutes and kind of see if we can fill in those pieces. So, ready, go. <laughs> It's unknown, yes, very good. Yeah, we don't always know the authors, and so sometimes there's theories, sometimes it's different scholars disagree, but yes, in this case, it's not actually known who wrote it. Some people think that it was Jeremiah, some people think that, you know, different kings wrote it, but um, it clearly was not Samuel because he dies during it, but so they know that. But yeah, it's unknown, very good. What else did you guys learn about just kind of the context? Where does it fit into the storyline of the Bible? I know I didn't give you guys much time, so... Did anybody get that far? Hmm? During Solomon's reign? It's a history book. Very good. It's telling us, yeah. Basically, up until this point, the Israelites have been led by a series of judges, and they've been crying out for a king for a while. And so First Samuel is kind of the beginning of the monarchy. It's kind of telling the story about how God said, okay, I'm going to give you a king then. And so... Really, First and Second Samuel, it's all one book. It's just that it was too long, and so when they wrote on scrolls, they ran out of room on the scroll, and they had to start another scroll. And so that's how we get First and Second Samuel. But it's one book, and it really blends in together with First and Second Kings. So First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings all go together. That's really helpful to know that this first. Sa- so when you're reading the first paragraph of First Samuel, you're reading the first kind of the paragraph of like a series of four books that all kind of goes together. So that's just kind of helpful to know when you're going into it. Anything else that you guys just kind of found out when you're just reading, like just a general preparing yourself to read for Samuel? Any other information? Who is Samuel? 
Uh-huh, yeah. We were led by, they were led by a series of judges, and then Samuel was kind of like that last judge before the monarchy started. Good. That's all really good, helpful to know. Now what I want you guys to do is we're going to take about 10 minutes or so um, to practice the steps. So I'll, in your handouts, it's double space, so there's plenty of room to just mark it up. And I just want you to, as a group, start just saying, like, this is something I'm noticing. Like, I'm no- this is really interesting, and it's standing out to me, or this is a question that I have. And I just want you to write all over it. So just work on making observations and asking questions. And then, I mean, you might even, as you're talking, be able to answer each other's questions a little bit. Um, And so this is the only step we're really going to get to practice just because this is a process that takes a little bit more time. But I want you guys to just see and see how each other, like a lot of times we have a hard time getting started making observations. So it's really helpful to see what are other people noticing about this? Like what are other people asking? So I want you guys to really do this as a group and just start practicing asking questions and making observations and just writing all over this text. And then we'll come back together and just share some of the things that we noticed or wondered about this text before we break for lunch. So go ahead and take about 10 or 15 minutes. That's a great question. Yeah. Wondering where these naming places, where are they? That's a great question. Also, we're not going to answer all these questions. This is just, yeah, so in case you're like, where is it? <laughs> so yeah, that's a great question. That's a really good thing to think through is asking, where is this place that it's telling me about? It, the Bible mentioned the place. It must be important. Good. What else? What other questions? Yeah, absolutely. It's telling you a lot of names here. Who are these people? What is the meaning of all of them being included here? Where are they in the genealogy? What do their names mean? That's great. That's a great question to ask. Katie, did you have one? That's good, yeah. Like, how do the wives fit in with the duties? If this is their occupation, if they're in the hill country, that's great. What else? Yeah, why did he have two wives? Yeah, did anybody else have questions? Like, is this okay? Is God telling me that it's okay? Like, is polygamy, like, condoned by the Bible? So that's a very good question. And that's something that we should question in research. Good. What else? That's a great one. What's the significance of making a vow to the Lord? That's something that I think that there's a lot of cultural and contextual stuff that we maybe just don't grasp in our day. So that's a great question. What else? I think that this is so good because I think we tend to feel like we shouldn't ask questions of the Bible. We kind of tend to feel like we just need to believe whatever it says and we should already know this. And so we don't even want to like, we don't really want to let other people know if we don't understand things. And sometimes we don't even really want to admit it to ourselves. And so I think we need to just figure out how to come to the Bible like more humbly and just say like, there is a lot that we should have questions about. And we're never really going to learn it unless we learn to start asking those questions. What about some, so yeah, these are great. I love this. This is a really good question asking. What are some things you guys observed or noticed in your observations? Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. What else? Yeah, Emily? Oh, 
that's good. Yeah, the parallels between the yeah the two wives and how one was loved. That's great. Like comparing it to like Leah and Rachel. That's great. Mm-hmm. What else? Hmm, that's a good question. Yeah, what did that mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. Ooh, I didn't even think about that. That's good. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That's great. I think that's a really great question, wondering what the translation of that word bitterly is. So, yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I like that. One of the things that stood out to me the most the first time I read this was Look at the very la- the very end of it. Um, how how is she feeling at the very end? No longer sad. Is she pregnant though? No. God hasn't actually answered the prayer yet. And to me, that stood out so much. Of like, so what does that mean? You know, like that gave me a huge observation of like, what does that mean? That she was so devastated and weeping bitterly, and you know, so to the point that the priest thought she was drunk, and then she's able to leave happy, but God hasn't answered that prayer yet. What does that mean? And that was a huge one for me. It was just kind of that, that observation at the end. So, Well, I hope that this gave you guys a good like just starting point for just kind of starting to practice this exercise of whatever text you're reading. Don't be afraid to have questions. And if you think you know what a text says, that's probably a good sign that you should stop and say, let me come up with 50 more observations because you never are ever going to really get to the the whole breadth and depth of what the scripture is telling you. There's always more things to notice. There's always more things to observe. And we just need to start flexing those muscles and learning how to start doing it. So thank you so much. I'm going to go ahead and just pray. And then um, I think that Jade will come and give us some instructions for um, lunch. So. God, thank you so much just that you've given us your word. You've given us this amazing um, revelation of yourself that you don't hide yourself from us. You don't make yourself so much of a mystery that we can't know you, but you've really given us a really good picture of who you are in your scriptures. God, I pray that we would all leave here feeling more equipped to study the word um, in more effective ways and that we would... um, just be able to encounter you in a deeper level um, in our time in the Word. I pray that nobody would leave here feeling overwhelmed or like this isn't for them, but that you would just show everybody the one tool that they could start implementing um, just to start them down the path of building their savings account of Scripture. So, God, I just pray that you would continue to be with us throughout the day, and um, we love you. Amen.